You know, in wartime, surrender is what you do when you're defeated. Uh, you've been bested, beaten, uh, and so surrender is what comes next. You surrender to the enemy. You acknowledge their superiority over you. Uh, but see, in our spiritual life, the very thing that keeps us defeated is our lack of surrender. Yeah, sure, we surrender to the thing we're fighting against, and we acknowledge that we've been beaten by it, and then we walk in that defeat as if it is all that we are. You know, over the past five weeks, I've shared just a little bit of, you know, kind of who I am and what has led me to today. You know, small pieces of my childhood, uh, the unmistakable call of God, uh, dealing with crisis, uh, everything crumbling, being torn apart, and just emotional defeat. And in a lot of ways, it's been a little bit of a sad story, really, when you think about it. The incredible thing about God, though, is that for every five failures and defeats, it only takes one surrender to achieve victory. Not a victory that we have orchestrated, but a victory that He has already obtained. You see, true victory is only found through true surrender, true surrender to Him. You know, with everything falling apart in my life, uh, my home, family, career, church, I mean, literally everything, uh, we made the decision to relocate back to the Nashville, Tennessee area where we had come from when we went to pastor. When we first moved back, I was really at the lowest point I've probably ever been in in regards to just emotional health. I was depressed. I was, in my mind, a total failure and had let down my family, let down my church, and most importantly, I had let down my God. And you know, the, the interesting thing that we do as humans is when we feel like we have let those things down and we withdraw and we begin to distance ourselves because we feel like we've let them down. And so even initially, uh, I felt like I had let so many people down and so many things down and let God down and let my church down and all of these different things that in my mind, God could never use me again. He could never work through me because I had already proven that I couldn't succeed. I was a broken, emotional wreck and really had no idea what I was supposed to do from here. We went back to our old church that we had left when we went to pastor. And they were instrumental in the healing process because there was no gossip, no digging for answers. There was just hugs, friendships, and prayers. And I'm telling you, that's what it takes. It takes people just loving you, not trying to get the dirt. I'm, I, you know, I've, I've talked many times, I've even preached on it, about how we do the, the Christian gossip, the gospel gossip, right? We do this gospel gossip where we say, oh, um, well, just to let you know, um, we need to pray for so-and-so because I heard, and then there we go. You see, there was no gospel gossip. There was only uh, just love, hugs, friendships, and a lot of prayers. And God places people in our lives at the most critical times, and it's people that have no idea that God is even using them. You know, I can imagine they sit back and say, God, I, I want to do more. I want you to use me. I want you to speak through me to touch somebody's life. And then so many times they do just that and never realize that they do it. My dear friend Kyle invited me to a men's Bible study not long after we moved back. And I went mainly just because he had invited me. And then the next week, I went back without him. And then went the next week, and the next, and the next. 
and you, you kind of get the idea. I, I continued to go, and slowly I began to heal because people were speaking life into me. People were speaking life into my family, and they didn't even realize they were doing just that. They didn't realize that they were pouring into me. And slowly, as I begin to heal, where Paul talks about the scales, when, when the scales uh, fell off of his eyes after he was blinded on the road to Damascus, uh, you know, when the scales actually came off uh, and he was seen again, for me it was, obviously it wasn't physical scales, but it was like the scales being lifted off my eyes, so to speak, and I started to see things slowly in kind of a new light. You see, I'd viewed myself as a failure because of what had happened. And then suddenly, I realized that God knew it would happen before he called, and yet he still called us. So, I mean, come on. If God knew it was going to happen and chose to call us anyway, then somehow there must be a purpose in it. In a lot of ways, I began to feel like my purpose was being restored. I actually almost titled this episode, The Restoration of Purpose, and then realized that that wasn't really correct. You see, the purpose didn't need to be restored. It never changed. The purpose was always the same. It was always there because God seen what would happen before it ever happened and still chose to call us into that ministry. The purpose never changed. There was no restoring of the purpose. The purpose was always there. Even in the darkest times of my life, my purpose, his purpose for me never wavered. It was always there. The purpose didn't need to be restored. I needed to be restored to the purpose. I needed to be able to see beyond my failure to why it ever began to begin with. I needed to be restored to the purpose. I needed to go back to the beginning, go back to the roots to understand even why it even had the opportunity to happen. You know, recently I introduced my kids to two of the greatest movies ever made. And that is The Mighty Ducks and The Mighty Ducks 2. Two of my favorite movies. In the first Mighty Ducks, the coach, Gordon Bombay, he has to go coach a bunch of hockey kids for community service. And during this time where he's coaching uh, these hockey kids, it's revealed that he was actually an incredible hockey player as a kid, and he loved the game, but because of a failure, a failure that was the result of being human, but because of a failure, he swore it off. And see, this movie kind of focuses on his renewed love for the game and the realization that his failure so long ago did not define him. The Mighty Ducks 2, D2, we kind of see Coach Bombay again. He's back coaching the Little League hockey team, this time at an international level. And because of their success, he forgets what he's there for to begin with. And he starts to focus on his success and not on his responsibilities and not on his love for the game, which costs the team dearly. Each of these movies, in a certain Hollywood way, reveal something about our human nature. 
We let a past failure define who we are. And because of that, swear off ever doing it again because we failed and because someone we trusted, maybe have, they failed us. Let me speak from experience and say that a past failure, whether it's yours, someone else's, or just simply how it happened, that is not a defining moment. That is an experience that you learn from. The purpose is still there whether you see it or not. Your purpose hasn't changed. Your setting may have changed. Your responsibilities may have changed. Your title may have changed. Your purpose did not. If God called you to love people, to minister to people, if God called you in an area, your purpose is still there regardless of your title, regardless of your responsibilities, regardless of your setting. Your purpose is still there and it is fully intact. You know, so many times we, in, we use this Christian-y statement about running from God or running from the calling or they're so far from God, they're so far from their calling. And, and I wish this was a, 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 a video podcast uh, because the visual, I think, is important. But we tend to think of everything as linear. Here's the starting point where we, uh, where we stepped away from our calling or we, we started running from God, and then as time goes on, we get further and further and further away. We look at it as a linear representation, and yet I wish we could see that it's not linear. It's a circular motion. The very center of God's will, God's heart, His love for us is right there in the very beginning. The moment you step outside of that, you're outside of it, but you're not making uh, strides and getting away from God. No, you're just running in circles all around him, but you're never farther away from God than you were yesterday. You never get further from him. You just keep running in circles. And to step back into your purpose, to step back into his will, into his calling, and experience the restoration to purpose, the, the restoring of God, uh, that only comes from him. It's always the same distance away. And that's just one step. It's just a circle. And God is right in the center of it. We get so caught up in our failures and what happened to us in the past. And we try to run from what God has called us into. We try to run from it. We forget that we did it because we loved the game. And obviously, I, I'm using a, an allegory here with the hockey. You see, Coach Bombay said he would never play hockey again and forgot how much that he loved the game. He forgot why he ever played it to begin with. Why? Because one failure, he allowed it to determine what his purpose was. Don't let a failure change your view of your purpose. Because the purpose never changes. It's still there. And, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in the success. If you look at Mighty Ducks 2, we get so caught up in the success of the moment that we don't even remember why we're doing it to begin with. And we wind up not only hurting ourselves, but we hurt the people around us too. Sometimes we get so enamored with being the best that we forget why we're giving our best to begin with. That was Coach Bombay. He got so caught up in the media, the attention, and the success of the team, and they were pulling him away, and he got so caught up with that that he didn't even remember why he was there. And it cost him. 
Sometimes, sometimes it, it stops being about pointing people to Jesus and becomes more about not offending anyone, maintaining our popularity. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you too. So if it's a popularity contest, then I hope that I lose. Somewhere along the way, we begin to hurt people more than we help people. Why? Because it's not about us. It's never about how perfect you speak, how many programs your church has, or how incredible the music. When we focus our attention on being perfect, on getting the hairstyle right, that's another Mighty Ducks reference, uh, when we focus so much on getting the hairstyle right, we unintentionally hurt those around us because we've lost sight of what matters. Ministry is messy. Why is ministry messy? Because Jesus says, I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners to repentance, the ones who are a mess. He, you see, he came to call the depressed, the abused, the forgotten, the broken, the adulterers, the drug addicts, the ones addicted to pornography, the cheats, the thieves. He came to call the liars. He came for those people. The church is a place of hope, but it is also a place of tears, and that should never be forgotten. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, this is Jesus speaking, speaking to John. He says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works and your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Jesus, and, and yes, I know people can get all in the weeds on who Jesus is speaking to, the, the semblance of who he's speaking to. It doesn't honestly matter. What matters is that he is speaking to a mindset and an action. And if it is wrong for one group of people or one situation, then it is wrong for all of us. And he says, you do all these things right. You persevere. You stick it out. You call people out for false doctrine. You do all these things right, and yet you have forgotten the very beginning. You have forgotten what it's all about. And he says you have to go back and do your first works. We've forgotten the basics. Why we do it to begin with. So I'm going to leave you with a couple of thoughts, and then I want to leave you with a challenge too. The thought. Here's the thoughts. Number one, God's love, his will, and his purpose for you is stationary. It doesn't move. It doesn't change. You may be running in circles all around it trying to avoid it, but you can never get far from it. You can never get away from his love, his will, and his purpose for you. No matter the failures and events that have occurred in your past, he knew and still called you. It didn't take him by surprise. 
Was it by his design? I'm not even going to begin to say that it was by his design. But God can take the, the most unfortunate events and use them for purpose. You want an example of that? Read the story of Joseph. Second thought, people need to heal. You know, I am so grateful for our pastor, Pastor Tony. And I generally, I don't make a habit of, of calling out um, organizational names or anything like that, just as plugs or anything. But I am so grateful for our pastor, Pastor Tony, and the men and women at the Refuge Church, our home church, for the love that they've shown to us. There were no requests for explanations. There was no chatter about what may have happened. Just an undeniable love, appreciation, and acceptance. You see, they came alongside us. And they carried us. Didn't even ask why. No question about why they had to carry us. They just carried us. Surround yourself with people that pour life into you. See, those in the men's Bible study that I attend, Kelly, Rich, Jeremy, Chad, Luis, they have been real with me even as I was real with them. They love, encourage, and lift me and my family up in prayer daily. So take time to heal when you need to heal, but be willing to heal. And here's the challenge. Forget about what's expected. Forget about failures and successes and ask yourself the blunt question, why? Why do I do this? Why do I teach children's class? Why do I teach teenagers? Why do I sing on the worship team? Why do I lead worship? Why do I lead a Bible study, lead a small, why do I do these things? Why do I pastor a church? Ask yourself the blunt question, why? And if the why doesn't match the how, it's time to begin to rethink some things. We have to live life unscripted and be willing to embrace the messy. Yes, we need to be ready to spread the joy of the hope that we have, but equally ready to catch the tears of those that are broken on our shoulders. We need to be willing to open our churches and our hearts to people, not for them to see a program or a gathering or an experience, but for them to see the life-changing power of the gospel. We need to let God speak and move in people and allow us to simply be the vessel, not the captain. 